Hello, my name is Kevin, and I'm just another woman driving away with your hat. And I'm Michael, and I'm a telekinetic child with an absentee father. And welcome to Subtitled Cinema, a podcast dedicated to non-American films. Each week, we'll be watching a film from a different country. We invite you to watch at home so you can follow along. This week, Stalker, directed by Andrei Tarkovsky, a cerebral art house sci-fi drama that follows the journey of two men and their guide as they venture into The Zone, an unstable environment said to contain the room, capable of granting a person's innermost desires. So what do you want to start with? So, before we dive into the movie itself, I found out this later, but this was actually loosely based on Roadside Picnic, which was a novel that came out a little bit before this film, where basically the quick and dirty of this novel is that extraterrestrial visitors visit the Earth, and they create six zones, so a little different already. We're much less zones in this movie. They are pretty much incomprehensibly advanced. In the novel, there is a picnic analogy where, similar to how humans will like go out into nature with their like grills and their trash yeah. and apple cores and then leave it all behind as yeah. they go back home, these aliens kind of came to Earth, had their little picnic in the zone, and then left behind what to them is basically garbage, but what to us seems like this advanced, like dangerous unknowable technology just like how we don't notice insects or like flowers really while we go on a picnic the aliens are so they're so different from us they experience things so different from us we're not really even a blip on their radar exactly when it comes to sort of the the science fiction presence in this movie you don't really get like you you can get alien vibes for sure i think Mm -hmm. they kind of hint at it they say like meteorite there's very vague kind of notions that something has caused this zone yeah but there's no you don't see any lasers there's not like alien crawling out of the vents yeah yeah (laughs) it's not like a oh watch out behind that corner it's gonna be a green guy this isn't the host where you see it so much of it is built on the atmospheric like here's past tales of the zone and its yeah. punishments and its like horror and we're gonna like sit in that well i think atmosphere is probably like the name of the game of this movie oh absolutely you know what i mean so this this is directed by andre tarkovsky came out in 1979 this is if you've seen a tarkovsky movie if you've seen solaris or anything else you cerebral atmospheric <laughs> yeah. men speaking the most profound things you've ever heard followed by them slowly peering around a corner for like four minutes just straight poetry and soliloquy back and forth also surrounded by like something that's like creeping creep yeah creep yeah. is a great way to put it just this kind of creeping unnerving vibe that's like continuous it's like force that's definitely overbearing influencing them in ways that are very difficult to discern in ways yeah. that aren't clear or obvious but ways that we're told again and again is dangerous and deadly we're shown that in the movie in the sense that you get the, you see the soviets like protecting the zone you got to sneak mm-hmm. into it to hold you see fiasco. those tanks which yeah. were referenced a lot yeah you you okay. kind of you get you get all this 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 creepiness mm-hmm. but you never really see anything right it's it's kind of all this build for something that i think makes it feel intangible there's no face or form to the force that is the zone it's something that kind of penetrates everything it's purely cerebral something's off something's sinister but we can't pin it yeah the characters never can either no absolutely not so I think that's so interesting why, I don't remember where specifically, but they're talking and, and the stalker says to the writer, like, the zone definitely depends on kind of, like, you and, like, what you bring to it and how, like, sad you've been, like, how much hardship you've endured and whether or not the zone wants you to go to the room, basically. There, there, there was no rules, really, in the zone. There's always the they stalker were, just freaking out about, yeah. like, oh, that's not how we do it here. The straightest path. It's like, is you're going to die if you don't. Yeah. yeah, and all these things. But when they break them, it's not 
something terrible. It's it, it always feels like we're waiting for the other shoe to drop. Yeah. Something horrible never springs up. They never like fall into a sinkhole or like yeah. get collapsed on or something, despite not following the stalker's explicit, explicit guidance. orders, I yeah. suppose. Yeah. Which is funny, because, like, the only threat that was ever introduced was, was like, the from... bomb that the professor brought. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, or the gun that the writer brought. Mm-hmm. You know. Things that aren't Stalker. So he yeah. comes and he brings, through word of mouth, all of these horrors that have occurred that he's yeah. allegedly experienced, but that we still can't verify. I and think then the, the, the other first, two have weapons. Yeah, the first time you see, like, something going aloof, I think, is when the, the writer's like, ah, oh, screw it, I'm going to yeah, go do my thing. Go. And he, like, hears, turn back. Or whatever. Yeah, he's stop or something. Yeah. And they all give him heat for it. They're like, you couldn't even go through with it. And he's like, someone, you stopped me. Yeah, and they're like, we didn't. Like, no, it's no, the zone. Everyone's pointing at each other. So what this film was really kind of like jumping out at me was, or at least I read it through kind of like a post-humanist lens. Okay. Which I think sheds a little bit of light into the zone itself. So post-humanism is a response to humanism, which came in like the Renaissance era. And humanism, basically, the crux of that theory is that the human being is autonomous and separate from nature superior like a superior to other creatures and it's kind of like unique they're special and they're superior when compared to like nature and the environment and other animals okay. so post-humanism kind of like flips that on its head and says no human beings aren't separate or have dominion over nature nothing yeah. like that post-humanism says that humans are actually just completely enmeshed and dependent on their environment uh, they act not according to their own will, but because of a network of different things all interacting. And they do not possess a trait that is uniquely human. Taking the humanist, where like humans are at the peak of the pyramid, and they're kind of like king of the jungle, they can do whatever they want to anything, and kind of putting them in their environments and saying that they are as much as part of an environment as a brick or a tree yeah. or a fish. I think that definitely embodies the zone and sort of its presence. Because, you know, when you see the tanks rusting. Exactly. You know, that's supposed to be, like, the forefront of, like, human combatability. And yet they just completely overrun. Yeah. And I think it gives you a big sense for the autonomy of the zone. Because he says many times, like, the zone will allow you to do things. The zone is understood to be a place that's constantly changing and shifting. Yeah. And human beings can't just go in and romp however they please like yeah. they can in in other places of the world they have to respect the zone they have to abide by its rules if they are going to survive it and you kind of need like this sort of science fiction backdrop in order to kind of invoke like well this is you know some some place in russia mm-hmm. but it definitely still needs some sort of force or driver to prevent humans from romping as you said right and i think you can also see that with like the dogs that are there especially the mm-hmm. one the dog that we the see one that probably. we end up following them you know that's an animal minding its business, right. doing its thing. That's something, you know, assumedly also entering into this kind of contract in the zone, but not in a destructive mm-hmm. or selfish manner, because yeah. we came up so many times with the selfishness almost of seeking the room. So definitely just all of these forces influencing each other and impacting the way that they are able to act and the way that they do act. As with all the movies we watch, I want to connect it back to Lahane, because I think Lahane's perfect. <laughs> this is the kind of movie that pairs brilliant storytelling with technical excellence. It's gorgeous, absolute shots. Yeah. I think it's the first sort of like Artur kind of playing with the form that we see is evident with the, right. the um, what is what, it? the sepia? Yeah, the sepia. Going from sepia into full color. Well, just starting with sepia. Yeah, starting like with sepia, with it. it was beautiful. Yeah, I was absolutely um, like The frame is away. cut on the sides. It's like a square frame yes. all the time. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, so you, you very much are 
when you're in the quote real world right you're constrained yeah there's levels of removal in the way that this film has been treated to make it seem otherworldly that works a great effect especially when it's removed when you mm-hmm. finally get to the zone and it's like clear it's the colors right. we're used to seeing and my first reaction was oh this is gorgeous oh yeah a nice cut to it that beautiful shot on like i think it was like a pole or something yeah. or whatever it just looks like overgrown yeah, beautiful nature let's take the rail car in yeah exactly and then so we're suddenly snapped to something that looks much more like the reality we're used to something yeah. that reflects what we see a lot more accurately something more natural if you will potentially yeah I thought that was just like a really cool playing with the form in that sense really evoking a lot of like psychological it, kind of effects to it it changes the age of things too like that yeah. sepia tone definitely makes this feel like a much more dated piece it, it also makes things more like dreary yeah no definitely going back to atmosphere it's it's much more like post-apocalyptic almost most much more like tundra like wasteland very dystopic yes there we go that's the word it creates this cool effect and we transition to the color and then when we finally leave the zone again we're back back in in sort of like the netted sort of like headspace going into the zone that just makes me think you know especially with the technical form where the writer says the future is no longer the future it's part of the present yeah because i mean you can look at that all these years later in our movies that still kind of look like our movies that still look like what the zone looked like very very tangibly that's just an interesting parallel in terms of like extending the medium forward and kind of having that understanding that you know we're not going to like sepia tone everything like 50 years from now yeah yeah i think all the the set pieces oh, yeah. set design sort of all of the sort of like conclaves and each environments environment that we they put occupy into. a couple that stood out to me when they're on the rail car i think just like a cool oh, yeah. little spot you know yeah, yeah, yeah. saw one of those the tunnel the, the tunnel meat grinding tunnel you know the whatever the tunnel of meat it, it, they tunneled yeah, meat grinder like you hit it yeah, yeah. Um, I thought that was a really the gorgeous The Dunes scene. was really interesting the to dunes, me. The, du- the Dunes in the Well? Yeah, the Dunes in the Well was just more kind of like surreal, yeah. absurdist building in this When he strange... drops, drops that rock into the oh, well, and you just so good. there's no splash or anything for, for like so some long. Time. Yeah, I was sitting in that shot being like, whoa. Isn't okay. gonna hit. And then you mentioned this earlier, the when the phone call, when he gets the phone yes. call, the professor does. Yeah, so that scene just, you sit with that mm-hmm. shot unchanging for a while yes and so that kind of goes into the the shot length Mm -hmm. uh this is unlike any modern movie right but the the average shot length in this movie was over a minute long which is so wild you had some stretching to as high as four minutes yeah which i you don't see in modern films i don't think really at all you don't even see that in films contemporary of its time no you get that montage effect where we're cutting back and forth so much but with tarkovsky no 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 No, you sit in it (laughs) we're about to sit and we're about to see like this frame of reference this specific point of view for as long as he wants us to be in it do you think that was too good effect I think it was to amazing effect, and I think it feeds into the zone as somewhere that demands a change in perspective, literally, but yeah. in somewhere that the point of view is also so influential in crafting what the zone is. Exactly like you said, where it's like our mindsets, our mentality kind of shape what the zone looks like and how yeah. dangerous it is. As we sit in each literal perspective, we get this sense that once it changes, the zone is also changing. This is, by some definitions, almost like an adventure movie. You know, they're, 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 it's they're, exploration yeah, yeah. They're, they're going to like some odd place to achieve mm-hmm. some mysterious goal going to this big room yeah. dangerous traps like he says traps a lot yeah and you know I'm always waiting for you know spikes to shoot right like a boulder or, yeah a to like boulder, roll like, yeah you, know, you never really get that but you mm-hmm. do get the sense that something's always aloof. a miss like when a gorgeous shot of the waterfalls when you're oh in yes that, I loved that those, sequence like, little tunnel-y yeah area. a great sh- I just like phenomenal shot no absolutely yeah. um but also when they loop back and the professor had like 
overtaken his him. knapsack yeah and of course like he's going back for his knapsack yeah the professor was very much attached to his tools which i think pitting the you know the professor and the writer kind of examining them as foils where one is so nihilistic but also interested in like furthering the arts and the yeah. other is kind of that practical scientific like let me take measurements well, and I would say they're try both, rational they're both still nihilists though Oh, yeah. I, I think the writer was just, you know, louder about it. Yeah, well, he's definitely louder in general. <laughs> um, I think the only person who didn't really have that, like, be-all, end-all attitude was, was the, stalker the stalker himself. Until the end, I feel like, in which case it was kind of getting to him where he's like, everything's faithless, so how can I maintain my faith? Yeah, he's definitely trying to grapple with this sort of, these sophisticated men, these, that, and the other. And even though they are without any sort of hope or dreams or, mm-hmm. you know, any sort of, like, sense for the future itself, which I think also... It's interesting under the Ru- the Russian backdrop, you mm-hmm. know, where you have the Soviet Union, you have tremendous not only like wealth inequality but like food disparities, right? And and a, just a general lack of of uh, quality of, of life, of, uh, yeah, and of something to put your faith into, of yeah. something that you can you can think, oh, the government's going to get us through this, when nope. like you're when you're living the reality where that's yeah. not the case. I have a little quote here from Tarkovsky, okay. uh, which I thought was very interesting, speaking to the idealistic views of the stalker. Uh, Tarkovsky says this too is what Stalker is about the hero goes through moments of despair when his faith is shaken but every time he comes to a renowned sense of his vocation to serve people who have lost their hopes and illusions wow yeah well it's he's he's finding purpose in life exactly he is he like he said everything that he has is in the zone so he's kind of working through that too what he claims to be is a very deeply altruistic goal of Allowing people to achieve their desires. The, the people that are seeking to achieve their desires, right. the writer and the professor, mm-hmm. definitely have some sort of, you know, egoist approach. Mm-hmm. He's trying to be the writer, trying to inform like people. He's literally trying to be Jesus. Like, let's, let's, <laughs> let's, let's, let's not ignore the crown. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, putting the, you know, the, the, he's trying to inspire, he's trying know, to. The crown on, mm-hmm. trying to, to speak to, to the rally, people. to change them, like yeah. he says. Just, just to really, like, reach the people and kind of, like, get them out of this yeah. pit that we see the characters occupying. Yes, and the professor, on the other hand of this, is still seeking sort of his own personal ends. He's still, he's trying to achieve this Nobel Peace Prize. Right, he wants that renown to yeah. is like a part of it, absolutely. And even though he's trying to, oh, this is for the betterment of the people, oh, mm-hmm. I'm trying to spread my ideas or whatever, mm-hmm. it still has these sort of self-centered You know, that selfishness, yeah. yeah. And I think that's part of the reason why we did not see anybody go into the room. Because this whole idea of just desires being unknowable and but but being kind of like the driving force for all of your action i think the times that that resurfaced explicitly as they're at the threshold but also just kind of like trying to understand their motivations getting to the room i think that speaks to a dislocation between like the self and the environment where Mm -hmm. you can't really know those desires because you are faced with such hardship and such suffering that it's just hard to even like get in touch with certain aspects of yourself hard to identify what your desires are i mean mm. i think that was kind of the the importance of the porcupine yeah um, where his subplot. he was still actually greedy like he still yeah. and i think frankly i think that goes back to the whole post-humanist thing yeah. idea where you know maybe if his if porcupine had not been coming from a context where maybe he's poor or where money is power and desiring money will put you in such a such a good position maybe if he came from a different environment he would have the desire to save his brother's life and he wouldn't have fallen to that grief and ultimate suicide that he does yeah a sort of fatalism to it exactly so you know where are the people who are coming to the room where are they coming from and as we see in the sepia shots it does not seem like they're coming from the best situation 
again, going back to like the technical expertise and mastery behind all this. Absolutely. There are certain scenes that are shot brilliantly. They unfold, you know. That's a good word you, for it, yeah. yeah. You're not told via, you know, montage, image, mm-hmm. image, image, mm-hmm. image, put it together. You're, you're simply, you know, watching an event occur in its own time mm-hmm. and you, you sit with that uneasiness. You watch the right. characters who know better react. You watch, you know, these characters who don't know what they're getting into fear. Yes, because um, you're discovering right alongside them and that necessarily means having that element of uncertainty over what comes next. Yes, I think the tunnel scene embodies that incredibly very, well. Very, very well. Watching the writer get the short <laughs> match, which I think is a cool little tidbit about fate. Yeah, yeah. like luck came up a few times yeah. where the writer was kind of always pitted first and each time the stalker was like bad luck, like whatever. No, definitely. <laughs> um, he was upset about it, but, you know, I think that mirrors sort of the, the Soviet attitude. Right, where it's like you kind of just have to accept your lot and get on with it because that that's what you've been dealt. Like, you can't change that. When I, I love the icicles from the ceiling. Yeah, all the, the things the dripping. dripping. Um, I love the, the sound design in this sequence yeah. was phenomenal. I think that it even goes back to what we were talking about a little bit with, like, the dislocation of the self, where yeah. when it's the long shot of behind the rider, he's walking, and you hear footsteps that might be echoes might be the others a lot of this like broken glass a lot of disorientation and you're not sure who is making what noises or where they're really coming from or if you know they're in their head if if yeah the zone itself is playing tricks on them Mm -hmm. which it has been known to do exactly so just you know again like these contexts that the characters are finding themselves in the line between human and space gets so blurred and interwoven that we just see we see like a, a, a much more complete enmeshing of character in space similar to because in the tunnel you know it's a little more obvious that you get this tight tight constraint with yeah. the framing you know they're literally in like this this very close quarter circle well they're like dipping underwater to oh that was so good yeah. could you imagine getting submerged to your chin just yeah. to keep continue ugh. so yeah ugh. But I noticed that framing a lot throughout, and I think, again, it kind of speaks to the zone as an environment that is forcing them to take actions that they might otherwise not have taken. We see it again when the professor makes that phone call. Yes, I'm glad you brought that up. Yes, in that room, they're so they're framed so squarely and so tightly close to each other. Um, It just feels like their agency is being limited. I think that that phone call scene was incredible. Oh, yeah. That's like one of the shots that like goes to four minutes. Yes, it is. Because you come forward, you go back. And even though I I know we have this sort of subconscious training to to want like shot, shot, and we're Mm -hmm. able to train and kind of follow this, this filmic language mm-hmm. i never felt that it was dragging no i never felt that it was boring they were very engaging yeah. shots because there was a lot of movement and a lot of foreground background exchange yes. yeah when he comes into the four steps out of exactly. the room and he takes his phone call and i'm, and I'm you know great it feels like that. different shots i that scene is brilliant as well when they're all fighting over yes it. oh like you made yourself a problem i love that line <laughs> <laughs> yes that was a good quip from the writer who had yeah. a lot of them but that physical and psychological exhaustion at the threshold of something that can look into you and know your desires and grant it i don't know that just i think again goes into like a knowability of desires like they're they are in all ways unable to cross that threshold and you know they're about to destroy their greatest desires out of like fear of leading them Mm -hmm. or having it falling into the wrong hands which is a quite a soviet thought and a good one too you oh know? absolutely you don't want hitler no to like step this. into the room yeah. yeah and you know whatever his innermost desire actually is like it's probably not great yeah. so and so you know blowing it all the smithereens like, mm-hmm. I, I love the motivations of the characters even if they're disagreeable mm-hmm. or even if they're you know a little foundationally offset they're respectable 
they're coming from deep philosophical roots that have just it feel it felt like there was so much backing to their yeah. ideals and their values um and i think that just goes to show like how well they were embodying yeah. those kind of conflicting views you know i personally you know especially in this moment or was taking the stalker's point of view i feel like you're supposed to kind of look at him as some sort of you know moral figure yeah even though he was totally closed the door on his family i mean that shot he of, did. Like, the, the door absolutely yeah over his talk about like all the constrained frames yeah. you know his daughter in bed like literally like like squished between he, the house uh you know he's still he still has this hope you know this sort of like, does. this driver to be like no we're doing something brilliant and amazing here to like, shut it all down nobody else wrong. is is understanding that or sharing that view and i think it goes back to what tarkovsky was saying about just renewing that sense of faith and I think I think we saw faith like again and again, especially with Stalker, in that he he just needed something to hang on to. He needed that kind of purpose and that meaning in order to in order to survive. Really, especially because you know he's finding meaning in something so abstract, mm-hmm. something so I mean godly, something not, very specified yeah, too. Yeah. You know, like it, it obviously takes a lot to be a Stalker. Mm-hmm. So the fact that he has this very specific skill set and then the whole shtick of it is just to take people there and to never step in yourself. Definitely, like, when he's crying altruism in front of the writer, like, I can see why and I can see how. So I want to talk about the production of this movie. Please do. So it was... Like a nightmare is one way to describe it. <laughs> really? Yeah. I'm completely uneducated on this. Okay, so so, so Andrzej Tarkovsky, he, he's in our tour. This he, is his movie. Director... Uh, director of photography, he's the eye, poet. he's the man. Oh my god, the poems he wrote those poems. Those poems, those were beautiful. Yeah, those the were one that was written by, I think it was what Porcupine's brother, right? The one that Stalker, yeah, was, yeah, yeah. that one was phenomenal. Yeah, I love the one with the fig tree. Is that the same one? It's it's when you know, they're creeping over the water and they're all sleeping kind of right. Yeah, outside. That, that was such poignant. a that was such a beautiful sequence too. Seeing kind of all of the like discarded yeah. artifacts almost just like amongst the water. Literally, every time they got together and talked, it was just the most like was, profound yeah, things like three seriously. men just to each other, and then they go and walk for like forty minutes. It was Gendo and Fiyutsuki. <laughs> so in a in an interview with a, the production designer Rashid Safulian Safulian. I apologize. To we, my... we, we've got him. Yeah. We're international. <laughs> so Tarkovsky spent one year shooting outdoor scenes um, okay. that, that you didn't really see in this movie because they sent all that film to a production studio in Moscow okay. who did not know how to like use the new oh. Kodak 5247 five, oh, no. film stock and ruined it. Mm. And so Gross. they like botched that development and the whole time Georgie, that's not it, Georgie, George but with a Y. I don't know. I'm not Russian enough. There's someone that's going to be upset. Uh, Rurberg, that was his, his name. Sure, yeah, yeah. He was the director of photography, and he was constantly oh, kind of at odds with Tarkovsky. Apparently, there was a lot of drinking oh. on set by all sides, and it was a kind of okay. a lot of foul play. Okay. He was constantly at odds, and Tarkovsky himself was so upset at the loss of, oh, at of the, the stock the, that mm-hmm. he wanted to abandon the movie, he wanted to scrap the wow, whole thing. Wow, he was, oh, he was yeah. over it. Yeah, he was like done. Like, like, oh, oh, the whole dang. movie was shot three times. Oh my it took 16,000 feet of film. Oh, oh. I can't oh. comprehend how expensive yeah. that is. Uh-uh. Um, in that, in that time Only too? to have like an edition of the movie near identical to the one we saw. According to the people who were there for the first production okay. of it. That's, that's brutal. That's yeah. so sad. Yeah. That's, wow. But he nailed it. No, know? he nailed it, absolutely. But to overcome that much tragedy, talk about like reaffirming your faith. Well, if you want to talk about it's tragedy. Meta. So... Uh, as we see in this this film, there's a lot of nuclear power plants. Yes. This is seven years we before Chernobyl. Oh, so we wow. do not... Uh, the knowledge that behind radiation entered, poisoning like, is not exactly... The general entered. psyche. Yeah. yeah. 
So in Estonia, where the film um, was filmed, yes, um, that's where the zone is. Oh, what um, happened? There was a chemical plant up the river, uh-huh. and it pours uh, pour toxic chemicals downstream as like factories Classic plant to. stuff. Um, unfortunately, there's shots with like white foam. Is in the that river. part of? Is that is yeah, that those kind are of toxic from... chemicals? So uh, people on the crew were having like allergic reactions mm-hmm. to it. Um, mm-hmm. And eventually, I mean, Tarkovsky died at 54. Okay. To a rare um, lung cancer. Okay. In addition, uh, <laughs> Anatoly <laughs> Solonitsyan. That was good. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think sp- so. I speak Russian. Uh, uh, one of the primary actors and the assistant director, what happened to um, Larisa Torkovskaya. Torkovskaya. Andrei Torkovsky is her husband. Uh, Love that. They all died for the same lung really? cancer, okay. and so it's kind of like understood. You can look into that. Yeah, that yeah. like the sort of uh, chemicals that they were exposed to during Wars, this. Wars. They did You gave them all like like lung cancer. That sucks. Yeah. But like cool movie. Oh, they nailed <laughs> like, it. They nailed it. They did it. Really, like got like, through. Ooh. Talk about a high cost of living. Yeah. So. Sheesh. You know that I think that's just like a fun little tidbit. That is, that's Brutally like that expensive, really uh... killed the crew. <laughs> uh, and now we have the zone. Yeah, we have the zone. She's like a, <laughs> a killer artifact. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So, so to kind of wrap our discussion about this movie a little bit, I'm interested. You know, what were your thoughts in in that we saw the sepia, we saw the color, but then we see the color outside of the zone with the stalker's daughter. Gosh, I don't know. Like. There's a few formal decisions in this that mm. perplex me, you know? Not oh, necessarily as I would hope I'm so. Like, oh, why do they do this? But rather, I'm like, what is what, what do is, they what mean is the significance? By it? Yeah, yeah, like trying to get down into it. I think it's just supposed to show kind of like perhaps the hopelessness that is outside the zone, sort oh. of like the, the indefinite suffering that we're all kind of experiencing. Right, because it is always dreary outside. We see like the yeah. rundown bar, we see his wife writhing in pain yeah. and by giving the, that. Yeah, by the way, when that wife is writhing a little oh, bit yeah. before oh, the beginning, yeah. like the ultimate expression that of was the beautiful. human emotion. That was, that was sick. It was Tarkovsky, apparently. If, you, if you've seen Solaris, you've seen that before. <laughs> and um, then you have her like her monologue at the end, too. she's staring just, like, right into the camera. That, that, was, that was another gorgeous sequence. But yeah, so every time you see sepia, it, it just feels very dreary, very very hopeless, like you said. Yeah. And I think the color, I think it speaks more to like just the power of the zone in that the physical space itself is not the only place where like this color, this kind of hope, this faith occurs because of the stalker's consistent exposure, I think the way I interpret it is the zone changed something in him and that manifested in a change in his daughter. And that might be where her telekinetic power comes from. About her telekinetic power? Uh, what? Great, um, great addition! Yeah, great great super cool! <laughs> I love the train sort of thoughts. You know, I think mm-hmm. the Scipio kind of reflects almost like a rust. Ooh, you know, think about like the like tanks, old. you know, like in, in the, yeah, you know, like just all the kind of environment that the zone sort of produced. Yeah. It's kind of like, oh, the world is decaying. Yeah, yeah, It's yeah, kind yeah. of devoid of this like progress that dystopian. and hope, you know, the world being like, you know, the cultural context mm-hmm. of, you know, Soviet Russia. It, it, it kind of is like this dreariness, this hopelessness, all yes. these sort of factors that work against all the characters existing within it. It feels very inhospitable. It feels very much like something that shouldn't be inhabited. It's like your fate is, has a, a negative end to it. Right, you've been dealt the long match. Now you have to walk down the tunnel first. I mean, talking about, like, that child then is kind of, like, the new hope. What's bearing Faith forward It's yeah. kind of what I got an idea for. And just, like, she's kind of, she's kind of, like, advanced, I guess. Yeah. She's kind of, like, evolved. I, I got a hopeful sense out of her. Yeah, me Because, you know, like, uh, her legs don't work. Uh, right. Be, like, polio or something. I don't know. I, I it, think that was just also part of I think I think it's, like, a birth defect because yeah. the stalker and they have Exactly. Children. But, you know, despite 
you know, perhaps her shortcomings, I say the word loosely, she still has this court, this sort of profound like, gift to her. They're talking about what they said. They, they called, like, the zone as a gift, implying that it was, you know, put there by something, kind of harkening back to Roadside Picnic yeah. and how, like, the uh, the visitors left all of these behind. It seems, you know, like, the zone is something that was given as a gift and something that is capable of continuing to bestow gifts, whether in, that in, is... In ways outside of her comprehension. Exactly, whether that is through achieving your desires or in kind of, like, mutating offspring in ways that just we as human beings can't quite comprehend because it is so advanced if you want to say different yeah. foreign it's de- it's definitely a, a scientific fiction you know yeah absolutely so whatever whatever label you kind of want to stick on it it's just so distinctly non-human distinctly post human i was going to say it's it's beyond <laughs> human it's not like a dog it's mm-hmm. it's beyond right and it definitely reminds us that we're not on top or we don't have that dominion over everything like mm-hmm. we might think that we do we may we may have detriments in one way, but we excel in others, and it's kind of that sort of. So, so what was your favorite scene? My favorite scene. <laughs> uh, I don't know. There's like, a lot of just there's, really there's a few good bangers. Ones. Yeah, uh, I had like three in my head. When he goes twenty kilowatt or not kilo or kiloton, <sighs> kiloton. bomb, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that was a ooh out of me. That was a clench moment. Yeah. That, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I also when they're walking through the water, the meat, you know, the, yes, the hallway. Yes, the meat grinder. Scene. Yep. If I gotta choose one, gun to your head. Go three, two, one. When they're when they're on <laughs> when they're on um the the little cart the workers oh, cart the rail and they're cart kind of like making their way downtown. Sepia or or po- sepia sepia tone. Yeah, because okay, I just yeah. thought that was a cool yeah cool means okay. of getting in. They send it back. And they're like, how are we getting mean. back? And I was like, I just asked that myself. It's like, well, yeah. differently. Yeah, I just thought it was a really cool vibe. And then it like mm-hmm. and um, also I'll cheat and kind of include that then transition <laughs> into color. Yes, because the first time you see that. was brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. And when they're breaking through the guards and stuff, I was kind of into that too. It was was very, like, like actionable without, like, (laughs) tearing too far into an action movie. Yeah, don't don't worry about... It was a little... It felt goofy to me. I kind of loved it. (laughs) What about you? I'm thinking... So, obviously, yes, the meat grinder pops into my head again. I think think them at the threshold was Mm -hmm. probably... That that kind of whole sequence of getting there, because you get the gorgeous poetry from Tarkovsky of... You know, never being enough. No matter what desire you get fulfilled, you're going to just want more and more and more. And then you get, like, the writer giving his whole spiel about people don't change when they consume art. They're just consuming it. They're, you know, kind of not letting it change them. They're yeah. just uh, they're just kind of, like, taking it and not valuing it and then discarding it, which I think you can have parallels throughout the entire film and as, like, a meta level, too, kind of what could potentially happen to this film is just a commentary of like what we do with it mm-hmm. so i i just really like that scene because we even hear from the professor more who had been a little quieter we get to hear him speak up just a little bit about like the his ideals with his colleagues yeah. like we touched on like the whole like what if this falls into the wrong hands just everyone kind of duking it out philo- philosophically i really like kind of how it how it amounts to that scene because i feel like it builds very well into it i think so too and then when you kind of get this confrontation between you know the two nihilists and the stalker um, <laughs> I think it plays out well. Yeah, you know. Yeah, now, you know they're they're keeping him away. He he is accused of being selfish, of taking people and profiting off their misery, and he gives this very tearful, very mournful, very beautiful response of altruism, of purpose, of really service just, to others. Ser- yeah, exactly, exactly. E- existing to kind of spread that faith to sustain it. And to take those who are worthy into that zone, into that room, but never entering it himself, which I think is just 
it's very interesting the position his vocation as yeah. it were because well, i feel like if you were to enter the room i mean that immediately kind of triggers the fact that he's he has a sort of ego a sort of like selfish desire he has like a reason trying to get a, yeah yeah exactly rather than trying to give yes yes the room is something that gives but you know like what do you give to the room and yeah. the stalker i would say like he gives people in a way yeah. the people who die and the people who experience it um, but he gives so much of himself too in terms of just his time in terms of his life his energy he his thoughts gives up so he gives up his wife yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't love but no. she's acting her heart out I love it yeah and that's a wrap on Stalker join us next week for Hero a Chinese action movie chock full of colorful kung fu and lies and lies Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Subtitled Cinema for movie lists, behind-the-scenes content, and other good fun. I'm Michael. And I'm Kevin. And thank you for listening.